I'm Siham Cyrene, and you are here for Better Conversations. I will often reread an email which I have sent out, which I think landed well to sort of think, look, you know, what were the good things about that? And, and vice versa, where I get bad responses, where I get someone who comes back and, you know, might have completely misunderstood what I was talking about or what I have said, to really think about, look, what could have been better there? You know, how did this land the way that it did? What was it that I did or didn't do that could have made that a better conversation? And, and you know, could it be uh, that actually where I sent an email that it would have been better to have a conversation? Or was it that, you know, I, I didn't collect the right information and I sent, you know, a wrong summarizing of, you know, what we were trying to achieve or could I have involved different people or given people an opportunity to get involved in a, in a deeper way? On the other side, too many people involved, you know, actually we shouldn't have had, you know, such a big discussion. It should have just been a one-on-one -on -one, uh, and then we can, you know, do the bigger discussion afterwards. So I think that just that reflection um, process, I think, can be really helpful. And even when you're, when it's not about you, when you're seeing someone else having the conversation, you know, why is that conversation a really great conversation? Why is that person a good communicator? You know, oh, I really love how they've set that out or I love the way that they kind of do this, this and this. And the fact that they kind of prepared this for that really just, you know, made that conversation, you know, 10 times more meaningful uh, than it could have been otherwise. So I think that that reflection is really important and, and serves me well, certainly. While we're gifted with speech, conversations, really good conversations, don't happen as much as we'd like. In this podcast, my guest and I deep dive into all the corners of what makes a conversation awkward and uncomfortable, or warming and memorable. My guest is Amali de Alwis. Amali is responsible for Microsoft's strategic and commercial direction across Microsoft's startup and scale-up activities in the UK. Prior to this, she was CEO of Code First Girls, a multi-award-winning training company focused on increasing diversity in tech. She was a founding member at Tech Talent Charter, was named the most influential woman in UK technology, and was awarded an MBE in 2019 for services to diversity and training in the technology industry. She's a board member at the Raspberry Pi Foundation, ADA, National College for Digital Skills, and the DNI board at the Institute of Coding. Hi, Amali. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Hi, Soham. Lovely to be joining. Thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, pleasure. So, Amali, let's, let's jump in. Why don't you share with us who are the stakeholders who you need to influence or you interact with every day? Goodness, yes. I was thinking about this as prep and I do have a lot of stakeholders I need to work with. So, um, these can include anything from the startups, for example, that we work with. So, these are companies who are uh, working with Microsoft products and services who we are discussing sort of, you know, how do we help them to grow their businesses? It can also be actually the other internal stakeholders. So I do a lot of conversations, I have a lot of conversations with um, other internal colleagues. So for example, with the UK subsidiary. So these are main partners that I work with. They help me to support the startups we work with. Um, and we really have to have a good relationships as far as we're not in the same reporting uh, structures, but we absolutely work towards a common goal, which is around how do we help startups? So those are those sort of day-to-day -day, um, conversations, which are, which are sort of more around the close way that I work. There are also the other sides, which I guess are the wider sort of open communications and, and the conversations I have with the public. So these can be anything from 
um, you know, the VC community who we work with, and they sort of have conversations with us around companies who we might mutually be interested in each other's portfolio. Um, we also have just the wider comms uh, into the ecosystem. So this is really around communicating what we do, helping people understand how we can support, and I guess building that public reputation around what Microsoft does um, and the way that we actually work with people. So the more um, sort of more one-way sort of uh, broadcast conversations rather than necessarily the two-way conversations as well. Right. Okay. And quite varied um, from from a, a having a window into your world. There are many different needs, aren't there, between between a startup and the founder of that startup, and and having them, you know, come on this journey that you're that you're taking them on. Absolutely. And I think often the the relationships wear a number of different hats as well. So with the startups, for example, they are both sort of clients of ours, but also in a way suppliers. So they work with us and, you know, have their products and services, which we then support, you know, into our other enterprise clients as well. So often those relationships, you wear a lot of different types of hats, even within the single relationship itself. Is it clear, do you think, for startups or for people coming into the ecosystem, do the is it clear to them when it changes, when it switches? Are they, or, or is that something that sometimes has to be articulated? I think sometimes it is clear in that you might be having a conversation about one particular thing with one person and one particular thing with another person. So for example, I might have a conversation with one of their chief execs and have a completely different conversation with, let's say, their head of partnerships or head of customer. Um, with other times, you 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 almost have to uh, swap those hats just from conversation to conversation. Um, so I think you know just making sure that you underpin all of your conversations with you know a conversation which is respectful, which is clear, where you're clear about the objectives. I think that can just really help to make sure that there isn't confusion about you know what you're having a, a chat about, what what that particular communication is trying to achieve, um, so that both sides can you know swap those hats on and off accordingly uh, without it causing too much confusion. And just to get my head around, get a measure of of what the content is of those conversations, are they, would you say they're tactical, strategic, mainly one or the other? What what's the what kinds of conversations are you having, for example, with founders and startups generally? It can actually be both. So if I think about how the conversations change maybe as the relationships go on, so often those conversations will start as being more sort of high level strategic conversations. So trying to understand, you know, what our mutual businesses do, what are the purposes of us working together, you know, helping to explain, um, you know, how we are structured, trying to find out information about each other. Um, and then what are the overall objectives of that relationship and what we're trying to achieve? That then breaks down into, I think, those much more tactical questions. So, you know, how are we going to execute this? Who are the right people to have conversations with? What are the timings? What are the different activities? Um, and depending on those conversations, it might also be, uh, you know, conversations with me or I might be passing on people to have conversations with my colleagues as well. Um, so often what will happen is that I'll have those initial high level strategic conversations. And then obviously I have team members who come in and support with more of the tactical conversations. But it's very fluid um, and it can involve both of those things, uh, sometimes in the same conversation, just talking about different things as well. Right, right. Thank you for that. And just good to understand where people's minds are at when they're in that. And so for you, what's a good conversation in all of the different contexts? What's a good conversation look and feel like? What are the cues? What are you looking for that tell you this is, a, you know, this conversation's going well? I think it really comes down to have both parties gotten what they needed out of that conversation. And I think, you know, sometimes that isn't that it's always a good thing in that, you know, we have difficult conversations and not both parties won't necessarily have, you know, be happy with what, what the conversation, you know, topic was. But I think that it should at least provide clarity and it should provide guidance and next steps on what you are hoping to do after this conversation. And, and different conversations can have very different purposes. You know, you can have conversations which are, you know, specific tactical conversations around something which you definitely need, you know, a specific number, or you need to put some timings in place, or you need, need something which is very uh, sort of set and, and just need to agree something. Other things might be, you know, conversations which are around building that relationship. So, 
you know, we re- regularly have conversations, for example, with uh, the venture capital community, so different investment professionals, where it's really around touching base, seeing how they're doing, seeing how, you know, how their portfolios are doing, understanding a bit more about what they're, uh, you know, seeing in the ecosystem, those types of things. And even for those, there is that purpose, which is the, the building of the relationship. But it might be that that's not so tactical in that in, in that sort of specific, uh, you know, we have an outcome, but it could just be a, a catching up every six months or something like that. Both of those are important conversations to have, um, but I think it is very different in the way that you should approach those conversations. So just making sure that you're clear about what that purpose of that conversation is up front and making sure that both parties or all parties are actually clear about that. I think that can be really helpful because the other thing which I think can cause confusion at times is when one party thinks that the conversation is about one thing when actually the other party might have something completely different in mind. Um, so just to make sure that both uh, or, you know, all parties are sort of aware of um, what is a good outcome out of that conversation and what, what is trying to be achieved. Do you prepare much for those conversations? Some of them definitely I do. And again, it depends on what the conversation is. If it is more of a general catch up, uh, what I will usually do is just remind myself where we left off. So if it's a six monthly catch up, for example, with a VC partner, you know, I'll want to do a little bit of digging into my records to find out what was the last conversation. Have I seen any news about that company recently? Were there any companies in our portfolio who might be in theirs, who might have done some interesting things? So how do I make that conversation meaningful and beneficial for the person that I'm having that conversation with and give them something which they could take away as something that they have learned or something that they didn't know before, something which adds value to them. For the conversations which are more structured, so for example, if you're thinking about, I don't know, kicking off a new project with a specific client or, you know, something that you're trying to do, which is a more strategic planning session or something like that, those need to be prepared for in a very different way. So for those, I'll sit down and really work through, you know, what is the the beginning, the middle and the end of that conversation? You know, where do where do we need to have got to at the end of that conversation as far as, you know, we definitely need a particular date planned or we need to have, you know, agreed X, Y, and Z. Um, and just make sure that that is clear and that an agenda is set for that conversation and where possible to share that agenda with people ahead of time as well. And again, that goes to the point of just making sure that not only do all parties know what they are joining that conversation for, but that also when those conversations are taking place, especially when you have large groups who are joining, that you actually spend that time having the conversation about the bits which you need them to be in in the same conversation about. So if there's anything that can be done before then, or any assumptions that you can put forward, which will just help you to, I guess, start the conversation a little bit further down the line rather than just starting from scratch, that can be really helped to just prepare for that and just make sure that that's really clear. And I think it, it comes back to, I guess, the, the way they used to tackle a lot of my conversations where uh, when I worked in consulting. So again, there, if you've got a client, you've got, you know, half an hour with them, you really need to be very structured about what you're having that conversation about and just making sure that you're making uh, the best use of their time and not wasting their time and, and sort of, you know, a precious opportunity to, to get to your end goal there. Yeah, I love hearing you talk about preparing for conversations. I think it's something that many of us wing. Mm. Um, many of us kind of, you know, rush from one meeting to the next and don't really give much thought to, okay, yeah, in advance, what do I want to get out of it? So all those things that you described about researching, you know, uh, the information about who you're meeting with, what's been going on for them since you last met, you know, your notes and all that, I think is so, so crucial. It just uh, to to the point that you made um, very eloquently, you, you're going to get more out of the conversation um, if you do that and it becomes meaningful and, and has value for everyone um, rather than starting from scratch each time. But you sound like you really enjoy that element of preparing, of being ready, of, you know, getting into that conversation and moving things forward. I do. And I think in a way it's a reciprocal need. You know, I, I want to make sure that not only does whoever I'm having that conversation with leave with, you know, the the end goal achieved from that conversation? But it also helps me. Sadly, my calendar is it, it always looks like someone's sort of thrown up on it or something like that. You know, it, it's very difficult to to kind of manage all the conversations that I need to have. So I think just to help me to do my job, if nothing else, is to make sure that I'm really clear about what 
I'm expecting from that conversation. And where possible, when I can send that information to people out in advance, it just also gives them an opportunity to obviously input even before you've chatted. Because if I'm sending, for example, an agenda where someone looks at that and goes, you know what, actually, that's nothing to do with what we need to chat about. That's a great time to them for them to flag it. We can then have a couple of messages in between us to make sure that we're aligning. And then when we get to that conversation, we we know that that's a much more meaningful conversation and that we're really clear about expectations. And don't be wrong, I'm not I'm not perfect by any means. There are plenty of conversations where I, I do have to sort of wing it uh, as well. Um, but I think you know where where possible, I think it's helpful to do. And I think you know if if nothing else, it just helps you to make sure that you know you're making best use of your time as well as the other person's time. Yeah, for sure. So there's there's a few things I want to ask you about within all of that. There's obviously an element, you know, you've checked the agenda and and made sure that that's as where possible, you know, it's as meaningful as possible. Two things. What's the balance for you between in that conversation um, in terms of it being a really good conversation? What's the balance for you between talking and listening? Um, And then the second part of my question is, does has that changed at all? given that many more of our meetings are now remote. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think I know, you know, we're going on to a little bit more around that sort of in-person versus sort of online conversations and, and touching on that as well. But maybe if I start with the first part. So listening is such a crucial part of having that conversation. And I am guilty absolutely of often getting very enthusiastic um, and talking probably more when I should be listening more. And I think over the years, I've, I've tried to kind of curb that a little bit. So there are little things that I do which which help me to try and listen better. So for example, rather than me having an idea in my head and just mulling that over and trying to keep that in my head, you know, while someone else is talking, I'll just jot it down. So that for me is a great way for to just, you know, get my thought out quickly, you know, three seconds, and then I can just go back to concentrating and make sure that I'm listening. And I think that also helps to give that person a space to take that conversation to the sort of the natural fulfillment of that, the end of that conversation, you know, because sometimes they themselves might be taking you through a journey. So just to make sure that, uh, you know, you're, you're giving them a chance to have that full story to be told and, you know, not, not um, interrupting with enthusiasm, which I know I'm very guilty of doing at times, um, definitely. The other thing which I think is really important, and this is more when you are talking as well, is you know, often I'm, when I'm listening to something, especially when you're having a good conversation, you've got 50 different ideas which are going on in your brain. You're thinking, wow, you know, we could do this and this and this and this. And again, that's sort of, you know, taking a few notes and sometimes just making sure that you take that person through your thinking in that conversation can be really helpful as well. Because often what will happen is that someone will say something, it triggers this whole cascade of ideas. And then what comes out of your mouth in this kind of unprepared uh, sort of conversation is is almost the end goal. We haven't taken them through that thinking of the journey. And, you know, for example, I, I think very carefully about, I, I don't know if you've done sort of the case approach to interviewing. So this is something which is done by a lot of uh, managing consulting companies. And, you know, years and years ago, when I worked in consulting, I did a little bit of prep to sort of you know, learn how you do a case interview. And really, really valuable practice, I would say, for anyone. It's a really good way of thinking about having a conversation because what what they do is they basically say, look, you know, we've got this problem. You need to, you know, here's some data. You need to present back an answer. But it's not just about presenting the answer. It is about talking people through your thinking. And I think, you know, making that verbal so that you can see, you know, are your assumptions the correct assumptions? Do they have anything further to add to that? You know, and it really just helps you to make sure that you're taking people along with you when you're having that conversation as well. And I think particularly when you're doing things like proposals or pictures, that can be really critical and really helpful to just explain your thinking and how you kind of get to that um, end uh, answer. Uh, I love that. And it is about keeping people going with you. The technique of writing stuff down so that you don't interrupt is is a great one. Um, It also stops us from wandering off in our own mind and stop you know, and stay listening, as you were saying, not get carried away. Lots of us have, have got that problem of, you know, getting excited and uh, becoming really enthusiastic and, and wanting to share, and which can derail it. I like what you described, because what you described is you're just holding a space for someone to share fully the information that they're wanting to share without, uh, without derailing it um, and then coming back to stuff. And they're keeping people thinking with you and processing stuff, it is so important. Very often we can, can't we, in conversation, jump straight into solution mode. 
which sometimes you have to do, but sometimes can be quite unhelpful. I imagine in the space that you're in, where there may be multiple ways of approaching a situation or having a strategy and you knowing that certain approaches work really well. What's the temptation to kind of jump into a solution mode or offer an approach that works without fully exploring maybe what's going on for that company or that, you know, that team? It's definitely a temptation, isn't it? And especially about things that you get really passionate about. The risk is obviously that you just miss that opportunity for two-way dialogue and for brainstorming. Because I think, you know, the number of times that I've had conversations where someone has said something, it might've been even a little throwaway comment or something like that, where I've suddenly gone, gosh, I'd never thought about it that way. And actually that completely changes how I would kind of approach this. And actually that really, or or that really supports actually what I was thinking, or actually, no, that's completely different to how I would have approached it, but actually that's really good. So I I think just making sure that, you know, when you're having a conversation, that it is a a conversation, you know, and there is a role, there is a place for broadcast as much as there is as, as there is two-way conversation. But if you are having a two-way conversation, you know, allow it that space to be a proper two-way conversation. And, you know, it's always amazing what you can achieve when you actually have ideas which are sort of bouncing off people. But obviously, in order to get to that point where you're having ideas bounce off people, you need to have two parties having that conversation in the first place. Finding each other, finding that space where you're both creatively um, sharing and sparring and so on. Exactly. Um, yeah, for sure. So you've touched on it a little bit, the, you know, your consulting background has taught you some really great skills in terms of preparing for meetings and conversations. And we will come back to how things have changed in a remote world. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But your skill is comes off really strong, Amali, in terms of, you know, you're very clear in your mind how to go about having certain conversations, um, how to structure them, get the best out of them. Aside from the consulting experience that you've had, who else or, or what other situations have influenced your own conversation style? So how you talk and how you engage with people? I think a practice of reflection This isn't just about actually verbal conversations. This is written conversations as well. And it's almost when you sent out a message or you've had a conversation which went really well to think about, look, why did that work? You know, why? And I I will often reread an email which I've sent out, which I think landed well to sort of think, look, you know, what were the good things about that? And, And vice versa, where I get bad responses, where I get someone who comes back and you know, might have completely misunderstood what I was talking about or what I have said to really think about, look, what could have been better there? You know, how did this land the way that it did? What was it that I did or didn't do that could have made that a better conversation? And, and you know, could it be uh, that actually where I sent an email that it would have been better to have a conversation? Or was it that, you know, I, I didn't collect the right information and I sent, you know, a, a wrong summarizing of you know, what we were trying to achieve or could I have involved different people or given people an opportunity to get involved in a, in a deeper way or something like that. Or on the other side, too many people involved, you know, actually we shouldn't have had, you know, such a big discussion. It should have just been a one-on-one uh, and then we can, you know, do the bigger discussion afterwards. So I think that just that reflection um, process, I think can be really helpful. And even when you're, when it's not about you, when you're seeing someone else having a conversation, you know, why is that conversation a really great conversation? Why is that person a good communicator? You know, oh, I really love how they've set that out or I love the way that they kind of do this, this and this and the fact that they kind of prepared this for that really just, you know, made that conversation, you know, 10 times more meaningful uh, than it could have been otherwise. So I think that that reflection is really important and, and serves me well, certainly. When we can learn from other people uh, or we when we hear people manage something that's quite delicate <laughs> in a very um, diplomatic, very graceful way, yeah. um, it's, um, it is quite admirable, isn't it? And I think it's always nice to think I'm, I'm going to remember that and try and use that myself or do that myself. And that's I think, the big thing, isn't it? It's, it's collecting your little tricks which are going to help you to get those conversations that you want. And, you know, it, it's a constant learning. You know, I would hope that I'm, you know, a reasonable communicator. It's a big part of my job. It's a big part of my the jobs that I've had to do before. But I'm still learning, you know, all the time you're learning from people, learning from what you've done well and what you haven't done well. 
Um, so I think, you know, don't see it ever as a, as a fate accompli. I think, you know, you never stop learning those types of skills. We're never the finished article, are we, Amali? No, well, that's great. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. Better conversations. We all want to have them at work. Have you ever felt dread about an upcoming chat with a colleague you needed to have or had that sinking feeling when that meeting didn't go as well as you hoped? When we can provide a safe space in conversation, the other person feels able to open up without fear. As leaders, part of helping our team do their job effectively is to motivate and guide our people to deliver on their goals. And when we have successful conversations, we become more influential, encourage deeper collaborations and foster true connection at work. Did you know it's the number one skill that sets the top leaders apart from the rest? That's why we've created a 12-week online course hosted by executive coach Seherm Sirene, helping you to navigate those tough conversations with skill and compassion. Enroll today at leaderswhocoach.today. So worst and best conversations. Mm. Do you have any stories to tell um, or, or any experiences to share? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think actually, maybe if I start with the, the worst and then we'll end with the good ones. Mm-hmm. So w- worst conversations for me are always where we have surprise bad conversations. And I think, you know, having a bad conversation is just a part of life. You know, we all have to have those difficult conversations, especially if you're sort of a a leader in a business, you might be having to tell someone bad news. You might be having to, uh, you know, to to sack someone. Uh, If it's a client, you might have, you know, something might have gone wrong. And and you kind of go into those, obviously, you know, these these, knowing that these aren't going to be good conversations. But with those conversations, you can prepare for them. You can really think about, look, what is that person expecting to hear? Is there anything I can do to prepare them and help it to land better with them? Um, And for all of those, you know, you can practice and, and just make sure you have your notes and everything. The ones which are always difficult are the ones which are bad, but you don't expect them to be. So I had a conversation recently with someone where, what I thought was going to be some really good news uh, ended up with just it being a really bad conversation. And I think for those, the the hardest part is, especially when they are things that you care about, it's very difficult to to sort of control your emotions because you're already, you know, you've heard something, you're getting really sort of wound up about something or, you know, you're getting very upset. And at that point, it's very difficult to have a sort of a rational, well-thought-out conversation. And I think you know, for all of us, it, it's about really thinking, you know, what are our mechanisms for dealing with those types of conversations? And and almost, again, going to that point of learning a few tricks, you know, what are the things that you can do to help you to manage those conversations better? And sometimes, actually, the best thing to do is to say, you know what, it, this is all a bit sort of unexpected. I, I really want to make sure that I'm preparing, you know, r- correctly and I, that I have a good response for this. Do you mind if we either, you know, if, if you can give me a few minutes just to have a bit of a think about this or can we, you know, schedule in another catch up so that we can have a proper conversation about this in the future? And I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking a bit of time to make sure that all parties are, are kind of comfortable with that. Talking to the to the sort of the good conversations, I had one recently which was with actually one of our uh, accelerator partners. So so there's an external accelerator who um, has a portfolio. We booked into a portfolio review. Um, it's a fairly sort of common thing that we would do with companies. And the person, their, their programs manager, their, their um, portfolio manager, came into that conversation with just the most incredible preparation. And, you know, had, you know, information about all of their companies, had it well presented, um, you know, had timed it correctly so that we didn't run over, that we had plenty of time still to have conversation. And it just left you know, I was catching up with my colleague who joined me for that conversation this morning and it just left both of us just feeling valued. And I think that's one of the the really um, sort of, you know, powerful things about having a good conversation. And I think even when it's a difficult conversation, if you can leave the other person and if you can leave that conversation feeling at least respected, 
and that that person has respected my time. I think that's a really, really important thing. And this was just, you know, by by preparing for that conversation properly, they basically said to us, you are valued. You are valued. We, you know, we value your time. We, we, we could be bothered to kind of prepare for that. And it just meant that, you know, by the end of the, the conversation, we, we had some really great outcomes. It left us wanting to work more with them. Um, so you, you kind of have this whole cascade of good things, which I think happen from those types of good conversations. Is that wonderful? My next question is, how often does that happen, Amali? <laughs> Not as often as I think all of us would love. And it's difficult, you know, I... I, I, I when I think about sort of, you know, my my calendar and my availability, I, I know that I don't always prepare for conversations as fully as I could do. And such is the reality of modern living is that, all, you know, many of us, we often have to kind of manage conversations off the cuff. Um, some of those conversations are just off the cuff by nature. You know, you can't always plan conversations to prepare for. But I, I think where we can and where you have that opportunity to do so, I think it just means not only have you made a great use of that person's time that you're having a conversation with, you've actually you've made a really good use of your own time um, because it just means that you're getting out of that conversation what you want and that you've had that sort of, you know, uh, opportunity to uh, make sure that your objectives are clear and that, you know, both parties leave happy and that you build a good relationship. Because I think that's the thing, isn't it? That conversations are about so much more than just you know, tactically, I don't know, agreeing a date. It is about building a relationship as well. So how you value each other's time in that conversation, I think is really important and and sort of well worth thinking about. Yeah, your point about you yourself are going to get so much more out of it um, is key, isn't it? I mean, and having that clarity, just even spending five minutes can make a big difference to figure out, you know, what do I want to walk away with? Um, And uh, you're much more likely to at least, if in, even if you don't get it, to know what you need to do next to get it, right? Um, this is something which, you know, certainly I've been trying to do much more, which is, you know, it, there's a temptation, we all do it, just have meetings back to back to back. I try where I can to leave a little gap. So even if it's just 15 minutes, for me to have an opportunity to write down my thoughts, to maybe even start that email, which I need to, which is a sort of response to what we, whatever we've discussed. And it just helps me to make sure that I'm, you know, giving myself that, that space to think and collate my thoughts um, rather than just, you know, going on to the next one and then you forget about things and then you kind of have to chase things. And, you know, we're all busy. I'm, I'm not saying I, I do it perfectly by any means at all time, but I, I think it can really help. Well, those are two nice techniques, Amali, you know, the the prep and the reflection uh, or moving something along post-meeting. Yeah, always, I'm always up for shorter meetings. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all, we all need it and it potentially allows for some other important conversations, one-to-ones, for example, right? Very often, you know, we're, we're strapped for time um, and, um, but there are some other kinds of conversations that we could probably squeeze in and benefit from in terms of building relationships. Business is about our relationships. So yes, we have to get stuff done. But as you just explained in that wonderful conversation where they came prepared, um, it makes you want to, you know, the fact that they valued and showed respect for your time and, you know, they valued the opportunity to be, you know, having the meeting with you and your team means you're more inclined, you're more like, you know, more willing to go the extra mile for them the next time. Yeah, 100%. So we've been pushed into sort of this space of operating remotely for many of us. How do you think or how have your conversations changed, if at all, as a result of having more remote conversations rather than face-to-face? It's really tricky, isn't it? Because not only do you have this sort of additional distance, you know, you can't do the usual, for example, you know, if I had a startup who was coming to visit me, you know, there will be a part of it which would be taking them around the office, showing them, introducing them to people. And that's a much tougher thing to do when you're having online conversations. And I think there is potentially more um, scope to misunderstand, but also in some cases, uh, you know, not the same opportunities to kind of do the more social settling things that you would usually do with an in-person conversation. On the other hand, I think it does offer an opportunity to just make sure that you're really thinking clearly about what that 
conversation is meant to achieve because it, it's much harder to sort of read between the lines um, when you're doing a call. And I think in a, in a weird way, it's both more distance, but more personal as well. I mean, when I'm, you know, doing this podcast now, I am calling you from my dining room. You know, I, I, I was joking with someone the other day saying that I've never had so many people for dinner in my life. You know, I've walked <laughs> over the last eight months, uh, albeit virtually, than I've ever had before. You know, so you are literally coming into people's lives often when they are dialing in from home um, and with all the things which are going on in the background and, you know, all of those kind of, um, you know, distractions that you might have. It has, I think, been a helpful reminder as well. And, you know, all of us have seen those videos of people where they're doing, I don't know, calls with the BBC and then suddenly their kids run in or their dogs run in or something like that. And I think if anything over the last, you know, seven, eight months has reminded us that, you know, we're all human beings, we all have lives. And one of the things which, you know, probably many of us have heard before is remember that sometimes if someone is, you know, having a bad conversation with you, it may not be anything to do with you. It might be them. It might be that they've had a bad day. It might be that they've got something going on with their family. Uh, it might be that, you know, they're having other stresses at work. So I think if anything, you know, has been learned from all of these conference calls that we're doing is that people have lives, people people are human beings, and that sometimes we have a lot more which uh, impact us having conversations than just the conversation itself. And I think that's a helpful reminder. Yes, it is. It is, isn't it? And um, we are a window. I like the way you put it. You know, there's a plus and minus here. There's, um, in some ways, we're missing out on that uh, physicalness. Mm. But at the same time, we are reminded that we all just managing and, and we've all operating in our different environments and so on. Um, and that does make a difference. I love the fact that whether people put virtual backgrounds on, but or it is, you know, actually a space in their, in their home. Home, I, I think there's there's something very lovely and is a visual reminder of what is in people's lives um, and what's important to them or, you know, just where they've got a corner in the house where they can actually, you know, have a call relatively un, uninterrupted. One thing that does make for more interesting and um, really interested in your thoughts on this difficulty or complexity is... Do we have to be better in either more prepared or ask the right questions in the absence of maybe being able to read body language? Um, are we are we going to have to become better at communicating and keeping people with us in a way that substitutes for not having those physical cues where we might read? you know, what someone is meaning by something, by their gestures or their body language and so on. What are your thoughts? It, it's always a really difficult one, isn't it? Because I think for all of us, we almost don't acknowledge, I think, sometimes how much of communication is physical, right? How much we are looking at someone's face or how they are moving or, you know, how they are reacting to something that you've said. There is, I think, a plus and minus there. And I say this as someone who I, I think I probably read people reasonably well. I think, you know, I, I can, you know, you learn. And I think especially when you're coming from consulting where you do a lot of presentations and you do, you know, conferences and stuff, you, you learn how to read a room and to try and adjust your communication and what you're saying accordingly, you know, to try and keep people interested or, you know, try to make sure that you're you're being understood and are they confused about what you're saying. but I think it can also be misleading. And I think this is something actually, which is even more of a, a sort of um, a risk for people who do read people well, which is that sometimes actually whatever someone is exhibiting physically isn't actually what they are feeling or going through. And I think drawing generalizations based on that can can obviously be the the risk. And when I say this, I think about, for example, one of my colleagues who is uh, autistic, and his communication style is always very flat. His body language is, is, you know, very neutral. And he sometimes might get distracted. You know, he might be, you know, checking his watch or something like that. These are just sort of, um, you know, habits of his. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he's not listening. And I think if I didn't know him, it would be easy for me to draw a generalization that he was either disengaged or not, in, you know, not wanting to listen or he had something else to do. So I think you, you've always got to take any interpretations that you make from body language with a pinch of salt. And certainly when I come to even talking about the startups that come and present to us, 
you know, you can have amazing companies which are being presented by nervous presenters. You know, that doesn't mean that the product isn't amazing or that you shouldn't be investing in them. But I, I think it's very difficult for us, especially when we're used to communicating so much physically, uh, to kind of sometimes pull that apart. So always, you know, it's worth checking yourself. And I try and if I'm picking up a certain thing where, you know, for example, I'm doing a presentation uh, and someone's looking bored or someone's looking like they're confused, you know, just ask, you know, is is, is this landing okay? You know, I, I just want to check, you know, maybe maybe these bits were a little bit confusing. Is that correct? You know, and, and sometimes that can just help you to, to get to the bottom. And even if, you know, they say, no, absolutely fine. And they keep looking bored, at least you've asked and you've, you've done what you can do to try and at least make sure that you're understanding them correctly. Yeah, I, there's a lot of neurodiversity, isn't there, that perhaps we, people will show up differently, um, whether they're in person or, you know, on a screen. Um, it can be quite nerve wracking. But also, as you said, you know, the information can be quite flat. And absolutely, that checking in is what I'm saying, making sense. Do you have any questions? Taking time to pause, I think has to become something we get better at and we include in our online interactions because we are a little bit less rich in terms of, you know, the reading that we can take from others. It's a good thing to do, you know, regardless of someone's conditional communication style. Uh, but I, I like what you said. And I think also there's um, some things that you can say in person. You can, uh, you know, if, if you were, if that person was in front of you, you might read, as something a lot as a more softer request than hearing it verbally, you know, if you can't see that person, even if you're on a video call and they don't have their video on, you know, a, a direct question can come off quite brusque or confrontational. And so I think we have to give people more of the benefit of the doubt and check in if if our reading is correct. Do you think? Absolutely. And I think you know, we, we talked, we've touched on a little bit about neurodiversity there, but also just even cultural differences in how people communicate. You know, some cultures, you know, people might be used to being more hierarchical. You know, they might not be used to, you know, joining conversations in a, in a more sort of fluid, uh, sort of dynamic way. You know, they might be waiting to be invited into the conversation. So I, I think that process of just asking, of checking in, of making sure that things are understood can just really help to make sure that, you're, you really are just getting the best out of people. And, you know, everyone on the call has an opportunity to contribute uh, to that conversation as well. Yeah. And, and that they're staying with you, right? You don't want people who are bored or not, <laughs> not expressing their thoughts or putting a concern on the table um, because, because it's uncomfortable or, or it's a different environment than they used to. Having worked with you, Marlene, that you have really strong communication skills, which is what makes this this chat such a delight. <laughs> but we all have weaknesses, don't we? <laughs> we, we all have our little trouble spots. What's yours? I talk too much when I should listen. I think that's probably one of my big ones. It really does come out of just enthusiasm and passion for the work. So, you know, I would hope that, um, you know, I, I try as much as I can to kind of curb that and give others the opportunity to talk. But that is definitely, I think, one of my weaknesses. We're all guilty of that at some point, right? Just the excitement, whether it's work conversations or f conversations with friends and family, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm wondering, there's a lot that you've talked about in terms of how you show up in conversations. You've talked about respect and you talked about preparation and taking yourself seriously in terms of, you know, what do I want to get out of this conversation, putting the effort in so that you get more out of that conversation. I wonder where have those values come from for you? Is that something that was part of your childhood, part of your interactions growing up, those things tend to be quite deep-seated or, or, you know, ingrained from from a young age. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I think so. And it's it's always very difficult to say, isn't it, what sort of nurture, you know, how it has impacted you. But I, I, I would definitely say that I, I have a good relationship with my family. You know, I have my, my parents are, are lovely people and they were always very respectful. And I think, you know, even even as a child, even when you have a parent-child relationship, I think respect is such an important part of that. You know, it, 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 you know, when I, I remember seeing, I think I was once walking through an airport or something and saw some 
person talking to their child in, in you know, not, not a scolding fashion, but in just a really disrespectful fashion. So the things that they were saying were just really unpleasant. And, you know, you, you kind of look at that and go, gosh, you know, how how is that impacting this person's development? And I think I, I do consider myself blessed to have had parents who even when, you know, they were telling me off, you know, because I've done something bad or naughty or something like that, I, I think had respect in that conversation and were clear with what, you know, what they were trying to do. And it wasn't, it wasn't demeaning to me. I think that's a really important thing. I think the other thing, which definitely from my family side is the value of discussion. So we are, uh, you know, a a family who will chat about topics. Uh, I think maybe part of that is, is, you know, my dad's a psychiatrist and, you know, his job is quite literally talking to and with people and trying to understand what's going on in their brains. So I think, you know, that habit of conversation, I think is really important. And, feeling that you can have those conversations even at a young age and have your views respected, I think, you know, can, you know, make a really positive difference to your life. So I, I would say that those are definitely things which I, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to say that I, I was able to experience from my family. And you remind me actually, Amalia, when I went from uh, the UK to New Zealand with three small children, um, I remember being uh, quite blown away by the way Kiwis would talk to children in a way that I didn't find in British culture quite so much, you know, from the sense of you'd walk into a shop. And I was very conscious uh, sometimes that, you know, they didn't really want little children (laughs) in the shop. And so you'd get in and get out as quickly as possible uh, with as, you know, with as minimal interaction because there was just very little engagement with children. And I remember the first time I went into a bank in New Zealand, they had a corner of toys. They actually spent maybe the five first five, 10 minutes chatting to the kids. And, um, you know, I need not have been there at all. But I remember that making such an impression on me uh, as to, you know, how different we are, you know, with children in society and um, and love the fact that you know there is that um, there is that connection with kids uh, between adults and uh, it's an adult conversation you know they're engaged and and genuinely interested in you know what are they up to what's their favorite toy I think that shows a lot of respect uh, to your point about you know you can still, tell a child off you know for for having done something they shouldn't but you know the way you do it really does matter and can have a lasting impact positive or negative um in that regard it's lovely to hear that that's the dynamic in your family yeah and don't get me wrong being a parent is not an easy thing i'm i'm not you know saying that my parents didn't have bad days you know they got frustrated and angry and annoyed, you know, as much as dealing with children who are sometimes, uh, you know, not terribly rational and making making life a bit harder than you would expect them to. But I think an overall, you know, just re- reminding ourselves, and this is, this is kids, this is, you know, all young people, you learn by copying, you learn by seeing what is normal, right? The, the more you see good conversations as being normal, the more likely you are to yourself want to have good conversations and respectful conversations as as being the way that you would expect them to be. So I think, you know, not not to underestimate, I think, the the value of that, um, and especially on obviously kids and, and people who are sort of still developing their ways of communicating. Oh, for sure. I think it I think it does. It goes a long way. And and you know, you remember those those times when you do have sat and had long chats, right? And and have enjoyed each other's company for hours. And and I think that does feed into how we look at our relationship as adults and and, and at work, right? How much effort we put into them. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any other thoughts that we haven't touched on that you think are are important for us to explore? I think nothing specific, only only to just say, you know, going back to the point that we mentioned earlier, that it's never a fait accompli, right? You never sort of finish being... You know, uh, you you never get a badge saying you're you're on you've reached your maximum level of good communication or something like that. You know, it is always um, uh, sort of a learning process, and different things are needed at different times, and you know, different dynamics. You know, you need to wear different hats for different conversations, and I think you know, continuing to kind of learn and practice. I think that's the best thing that people can do as far as becoming better communicators. 
And just making mm. sure that, you know, you you give yourself that time to self-reflect when things either do go well or they don't go well. Uh, you know, what are the kinds of things that could have happened differently? I think that can really help. Definitely. I think we, you know, taking that time to think about, you know, what did work, what didn't work. And the other thing, Amali, I think, you know, you're, you're very proficient at this is the willing to be to have misunderstood or to be wrong or to you know something that you say doesn't quite come out the way you want it to or you know the concept wasn't there you know it wasn't communicated now that sounds terrible because I'm it sounds like I'm saying you mess up in your conversations I, I, I know you really don't. mess up in my conversations <laughs> that is that is a, an absolute given <laughs> Well, and, and it's okay to say so, right? It's okay to say, can I can I just backtrack on that one? Uh, that's hundred percent. I mean, I, I think I I would have to be tone deaf if I think that if I thought that I never went wrong with my conversations, and you know, I. I do have a little uh, period of them beating myself up about that, but then you've just got to move on and kind of take the lessons from that. But I, I think it's important to just you know, reflect on that and, you know, really take those lessons as being, look, you know, you did the best that you could at the time. It didn't work, you know, particularly well, or it didn't land exactly the way that you wanted it to. But, you know, no, no one is perfect at this, you know, and, and sometimes I think going back to that previous point, sometimes it isn't you, you know, it takes two people or more people to have a conversation. Sometimes it's just that person isn't in the right place. And, you know, I, I've certainly had those conversations. I had one, you know, not too, not too long ago, actually, where, I came off conversation feeling, gosh, you know, I, I really, I don't know what went wrong there. Um, and it wasn't until actually I had a follow-on conversation that I, I, you know, the person I was having the conversation with said, you know what, well, I, I just had a really bad day. I just had, a, you know, I, I jumped on it. I know that I got really sensitive about it and that wasn't what I meant at all. Um, and I have those conversations all the time as well. Um, so, you know, remember to, to treat yourself kindly, I think, as well in that. Brilliant. Well, Amalia, I've really enjoyed um, our chat about conversations. We've got some great, um, some great advice there. Certainly, in the preparation and um, and the reflection and being kind to ourselves. Completely, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Sia. Thank you, Amalia. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Better Conversations with me, Siham Cyrene. And if you did. Leaving me a lovely review and rating on Apple Podcast will help me reach more listeners who want to have better conversations at work and in their private lives. You can check out show notes at betterconversations.co forward slash podcast. If you're a regular subscriber, brilliant, lovely to have you back. And if this is your first time, hit subscribe, leave a review and tell a friend. A screenshot and an Instagram story would be going above and beyond. And I would be very grateful. Please tag me at Siham Cyrene, all one word, S-E-H-A-A-M-C-Y-R-E-N-E. And of course, I'll tag you right back. So, what would you like to hear my future guests and I talk about? Or perhaps you would like to be my guest because you've got a strong point of view that you'd like to share or kick about with me on the podcast. Drop me a note, podcast at betterconversations.co. I'd love to hear from you. And if you are a leader who knows you could achieve so much more in your career and be way more influential by having better conversations and stronger relationships, then do consider enrolling for my 12-week online course, Leaders who coach. You'll find the curriculum, videos, and a whole load more at leaderswhocoach.today. Thanks for listening. I'm Siham Cyrene, and this has been a better conversation. Thank you.